This is a Triple J podcast. Does anyone else have that man in your life that like you genuinely care for a lot and like you could maybe see a future with them and it could be like this beautiful thing, but also twice a day you picture yourself hitting them with your car, but also like kiss them a lot. Oh my God. So dramatic. It's so dramatic. But like when you feel those feelings about someone so strongly, it feels so true. You're like, yeah, I am obsessed with you. I love you so much. I don't want to be with anyone else, but God, I fucking hate you at the same time. Yeah. It's like at a flip of a switch as well. It can just happen. And it's like these huge highs and lows. You're on this roller coaster ride, but you don't want to get off because you love them, right? Yeah. Even if you hate them tomorrow, you're like, but it'll come back. I'll still love them. So the next day, we're going to be hand-holding. We're going to be kissing. down the street. Smooching. And then the other day, shanking each other. Well. Okay. That's a bit much. <laughs> but it turns out, if you are listening and you're like, yes, this is me. I can relate. Or maybe you've been in a relationship like this before. It's actually a type of relationship. And as you can guess, the name's really easy. It's a love-hate relationship. Yeah. And in this episode, we're going to figure out how to tell if you are stuck in one and why you might even gravitate towards this type of uh, relationship. Also, how to tell if it's turning toxic. I think this is important. And how to get out. How do you stop that cycle once and for all? Yeah, and by the way, speaking of toxic, like, again, we're not exclusively saying that love-hate relationships are always abusive and toxic. So when you hear us use this term... We're really referring to when the emotions are really big, the highs and lows, they happen really hard and fast. Yeah, like the, it's it's such a spectrum and we are going to touch on how to tell if it is genuinely toxic, but that'll be a bit later on. So stay tuned. You know the drill. We put this up on our Instagram and Ben was one of the first people to slide right in with his story. Through the last six months of the relationship, I went through like hating my partner I'd get with my mates and we'd talk about it and I'd hate her and I wouldn't go back to her. And then she'd text me and be like, oh, do you want to catch up tonight? I'd be like, yeah. And then it was just like nothing had happened. And it just kept going on and on. And yeah, just like it's draining. But I couldn't help it because I had love for her, but I hated her at the same time. There is actually an official term for this and research calls these volatile relationships. And Dee, you're not a fan of this word, hey? Yeah, I was like, it just, something about the word volatile makes me think really, really hectic. Like the, it's a it's an abusive relationship. It's more, I think, it, like, yes, I totally get that. But I think it's more just like up and down, like an earthquake, like shaking around there's a lot going on. Yeah. And we spoke to couples therapist uh, Megan Kozak and she reassured us, I know the word volatile is scary, but here's what she had to say. Now that gives it a really bad rap. But within that relationship, there's this idea that we love the passion and the drama of it. And so we're just as in love madly and fiercely as we are against one another when we're fighting. And so we might notice those patterns within our own relationship, but also really enjoy it. Just on that, the kind of like addictiveness, the pattern the fact that you might actually enjoy the fluctuation of love and hate. Megan says like a lot of this has to do with stuff that's happening in the brain and the hormones are firing and that's why it can sometimes be relationships that you seem to be drawn to. Well, it is a little bit of what it sounds like. There's love and there's hate and we've got these two real extremes and so within this relationship we swing from one end of the pendulum to the other and it tends to happen over and over again in a bit of an usually unhealthy kind of a pattern. So you told us that you personally had been through plenty of these relationships. 72% of you said, 
I've been in a love-hate relationship, which is a huge stat. That's so huge. I honestly didn't expect that. Neither did I. And this is how you described it. So my ex and I met four years ago and we were love at first sight. It was our first ever relationship, first everything. For two years we were fine and then we started having arguments for no reason and we started resenting each other and then, you know, a day later we'd start loving each other again. Um, And then... It all came to a head last year when we decided to separate for six months because we just kept going into that cycle and couldn't get out of it. My relationship started off very good. However, it slowly transitioned into a roller coaster of ups and downs. And because a proportion of the relationship still had its ups, I'd start making excuses for the bad or toxic behaviour by saying, oh no, this isn't the real them. And often, I would decide to end the relationship if things were getting bad again. But before I knew it, we'd be back to being a happy couple. And it was all very confusing and exhausting. Obviously, love-hate relationships are a spectrum. You might experience small doses of that kind of volatileness. I'm like struggling to say volatile. Volatileness (laughs) in your relationship. But it is not actually that common according to... Jerry Carancis, Associate Professor at Deakin University. Are they especially common? Not as common as you would think, but by the same token, it's not that people are in the minority, right? And for many people, they often experience it at quite low levels, right? The, the, whether it's love or whether it's hate, that kind of mix isn't, isn't as intense as what it can be in some of those more extreme cases that people might think about. But certainly you tend to hear it from various people that they do have relationships where on the one hand they experience these strong positive emotions and at the same time they experience these negative emotions about aspects of those relationships. But obviously if you are struggling with this, if you happen to fall into these relationship types or patterns a lot, we want to help. Before we do that, before we get into the how to deal, let's go over some of the reasons why you might be drawn to this type of relationship because I think it's really important... You know, we're psychology girlies to look (laughs) at the reasons why you keep repeating similar patterns. Going inward. And this is one of the most common places as to where this relationship stems from. It's about like your family and your childhood, which D, 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 you love to bring up the childhood. You know, I love talking about attachment styles. I know. (laughs) Trust me, I know. What did you grow up with? What were your attachment styles that you were taught when you were really, really young? What feels safe? What feels like love for you? And that becomes really familiar for us. So if we grew up in a family where nobody talked about anything and everybody was just quiet and any conflict was quickly swept under the carpet, that's our normal. If we grew up in a family where we just had explosive fights and everything was put on the table, but afterwards you were wrapped up in a great big hug, that's our normal. That's what it is that we're learning and that we're feeling is what we're supposed to be looking for. And so then when we move into a relationship, we're we're often looking for something that feels familiar because familiarity, we equate to safety. And so we notice that. And it's not till we're within this pattern that sometimes we go, oh my gosh, actually, maybe that's not what I want. Maybe that's what I thought I wanted, but maybe it turns out I want or need something different. And it can take a bit of untangling to relearn that if that's what we've been taught for a really long time. I love that. Right. You know, I do. But what about this? Here's a thought. Stay with me. Yes. It's not that deep. What about it just has something to do with the fact that you've been in this honeymoon period with somebody, which usually lasts around like 18 months, right? Yeah, the limerence phase. The limerence phase. And then you drop out of that. You start to see them for who they really are. 
and you start to get annoyed at all these little things that you're like, oh my God, I was blinded to it. I have my rose colored glasses on. They're actually a dick. Yes. Also, by the way, we did a whole episode on relationship stages. Go look at it in your feed. We talk about the honeymoon phase. But yeah, one of the things that we did talk about in the episode is the fact that you pretty much all the things that you're drawn to your partner at the start are the things that you start to hate about your partner. And we actually got a DM from Emily talking about this, how like everything was good at the start and then she started to see the cracks. I just recently got out of a almost five-year relationship with this person and when we were good, we were really good. Like the first two, maybe three years of our relationship were phenomenal. But then it started becoming a big thing where we would have little insignificant fights about dumb things. And there were some days where I would look at him and just have hatred and annoyance towards him. But then I would go above and beyond for him no matter what. Even if I was feeling badly towards him, I would still go and do whatever it was to help him, whether it be driving him to and from work at like five o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, I would still do that because I had such an immense love for him. Megan says as well that this is something that she sees a lot with the couple she works with. You start to notice the socks on the ground and it's not so cute anymore that you don't close the cupboards and it's kind of annoying that you do this. And so it's in those moments that we start to figure out how do we navigate this relationship for real? And that's where it either starts to get a bit more avoidant, where we start to not talk about things, or a little bit more volatile where we really do talk about it, but maybe we don't quite have the skills to navigate it well. We'll talk about the skills soon because I actually want to learn that too. Thanks. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But like circling back to making it deep again, getting, you know, we spoke about family stuff um, and why that might impact, but what about self-esteem and confidence? Oh yeah. I can definitely see how that would play a part. We learn about ourselves in all different manner of relationships and connections. So if we were bullied in school, if our connection with our siblings was a particular way, if we had a really great friendship that turned sour, but we just accepted it for a really long time, all of these different things, we learn that about ourselves and we start to create stories about who we are and what we deserve in relationship and also just in life. And as we move through that, If we've created this story because of our experiences that we don't deserve to be treated well or we deserve to be in a relationship where sometimes we're loved and sometimes we're hated and we just have to accept that, that becomes part of this story of truth. And often what we do is we gather evidence to prove that story right or wrong. And so over time, you're gathering all of this evidence to prove to yourself, I'm not worthy of anything beyond this. This is all I'm worthy of. I love this so much. I feel like Megan really explains storytelling in a way that I was like, oh, I finally kind of get this. Like we do fill in the gaps so much. Actually, now I have a thought. Oh. What if your love-hate volatile dynamic of your relationship comes from the fact that you're just not communicating? So, for example, you could be just like sitting with all these like really strong emotions festering away. You're feeling really bitter, like we're talking about making up stories. Yeah. For example, you and I deeply in love. Oh my god, we role playing. Yes, you and I deeply in love. We live together. Yes. I finish work. I come home at five. You come home at like seven, and I have this story in my head that when you walk through the door each night, you never say like, you never come and give me a kiss and say like, hi, nice mm. to see you. How was your day? You just go like, I'm going, where's dinner? I'm so hungry. You're just going so straight tired. to the shower. You're having a shower. Yeah. I hate you because the story that I'm telling myself is like, 
you don't appreciate me, you don't love me, you don't like value me the way that I value you. I would do that to you if you came home late. And then you're compiling evidence throughout the day while I'm not there. And you're like, oh, she also did this and she didn't do that. And you're you're getting all the evidence because you want to tell that narrative. I'm like hating you. Yeah. But I'm also not telling you how I'm feeling. Mm. And I could have family triggers, for example. You could have poor self-esteem. I could be upset because mum and dad came home at seven every night and didn't say hello. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) not true mum and dad listening. Um, But like, that's just an example of like why some people might have these huge feelings of hate towards a partner when really you're going, obviously I love you, I care for you, but I'm exhausted from work. I just need to get in the shower. I just want to wash my day off and then I can be attentive and love with you or whatever. Yeah. And we asked Megan about this, you know, and she said... Sometimes it's hard to explain what those feelings are. Like you use some great words. They're like festering and resentment and that sort of thing. And sometimes it helps to break it down a little bit. And we look at something within the Gottman framework, which is called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like it sounds so dramatic. It should come with its own theme song, right? It's unreal. (laughs) But it's, it's so great because it really breaks it down. It's like, okay, is there criticism? Is there defensiveness? Is there contempt? Is there stonewalling? When we look at these four things and we break them down, then we can go, oh gosh, well, that's what's happening. Well, now I get it. It's not just this weird vibe I'm getting. No, it's contempt. That's what it is. Let's name it and then figure out what to do with it. Okay, no, let's circle back to Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Because I have never, ever heard of this term before, but you are familiar with it, right? Yeah, I've, I know about the framework, yeah. It, it sounds so hardcore and so metal. It's, it's giving, giving screamo heavy metal band. Which is why I had to go and get Lockie Watt, our resident dark metal lord from Triple J, from the racket, to come and join. Okay, if you if you heard, because you obviously are in a metal band, it's what you talk about on Triple J, if you heard a name like Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, would you straight away assume it was like a metal band? Yep, I believe there is a Metallica song called The Four Horsemen, so makes sense. Oh, insert grab here. Okay, Lucky. That's perfect. For anyone listening, give us the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse screamer version. How would it play out as a song? The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse! <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my God. I can't. I can't believe we had some screamo in the pod. I mean, Megan said that it needs its own theme song, so I love that we now have one. Yes. Okay. Seriously, though. Just give me the quick, like, real, 50 words or less. real quick explainer of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Basically... Like Megan said, there is four things that happen in conflict with couples that are unhealthy. There's criticism, which is basically like, you always do this. You're like a horrible, like say, for example, the you coming home late. Mm. You never talk to me when you come home. You're a horrible person. You don't care about me. Criticism. Yep. Contempt. Contempt is a bit harder to find because contempt is like the sighing, the passive aggressiveness. So bit it's of like sarcasm. It's like yeah, sarcasm. Yeah. Like you come home and you sit down. And I'm like, mm, here we go. Yeah, rolling my eyes at you. Yep, yep, yep. Um, defensiveness, very easy Obviously, to get. Yep, yeah, defensive. Stonewalling when you just avoid conflict and you just silent treatment and you punish your partner with silent treatment. Okay. That's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If you have any of those characteristics within your relationship. You probably need to do some reevaluating. Yeah. I feel that. All right. Speaking of the four horsemen, I want to know how can you tell 
if your love-hate relationship is verging into unhealthy? When it starts to get a bit more negative is when we start to notice that the ratio is out. So we can have a volatile relationship, but it's usually about five positive interactions for every one really negative interaction that happens. When that ratio starts to get out of whack, we start to really notice it because we feel a little bit less safer and a bit less comfortable to be ourselves in that relationship. And it's really normal. Like it's really normal to have relationships where there is conflict. And when we have this love-hate relationship, it's just the conflict is at the other end of the spectrum. We've just got to make sure that we're going okay in between that. We've got enough of that buffer of emotional safety to feel like it's all going to be okay and we're going to swing back to that love end again. Megan also says that a big indicator, something that you can look for if you're trying to figure out if it's unhealthy or not, is figure out if you're starting to change yourself, like mold yourself around your partner, walk on eggshells, try and appease them, something you can look for in your actions. I think though, if you're in a position where you're starting to change your behavior or you're really starting to overanalyze everything that you're saying or doing, they're really big clues or cues for you to have a bit of a look at and go, okay, am I in a space or in a relationship where I feel like I can genuinely be relaxed, be myself, or am I altering myself in order to fit in with you because I'm fearful or afraid or what's going to come back at me if I don't behave or speak this way. That's a really great clue to know that maybe we've tipped over a little bit too far. It doesn't mean that everything's over. It just means, okay, there's some little shifts that we need to make. We've got to do a bit of a course correction here. Okay. So course correcting, we're changing the rudder. We're going a different direction. How do you deal? Every day you've got four choices. You can stay and you can make a change for the positive. You can stay and accept everything exactly as it is. You can stay and you can make it worse or you can leave. They are four choices every single day, right? And so those choices are sitting with you right now. Which one are you going to do? Which one are you going to take? Now, if you're the person who goes, well, do you know what? I want to stay. There's enough here for me to want to be here. I'm really invested in this person and this relationship, but it can't stay the way it is. There's got to be a bit of a change. Well, then we start to work through a few things. We go, okay, well, let's at the first point, let's start to notice the patterns that are there. Because maybe this thing that I've built up in my head is happening like every week. Actually, it only happens twice a year but it has such an impact for me that I've decided it happens all the time, right? Or the other way is true. Maybe you might think it never happens, but actually it's every Tuesday night that this whole thing rolls around again. So let's start to notice. <laughs> I love the pointing to yourself there, Pip. That's beautiful. That's like, me. <laughs> let's, yeah. Like let's start to notice the patterns that are going on and then look. let's look at the context around them. What's happening on a Tuesday night that makes you feel that way, right? You're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Do we need to halt before we do anything else? Like what's going on in this moment? Once you've started to notice what the patterns are. Hold up. I just want to pause right there because I think identifying the patterns is so key in this because like we were talking about before, if you're a really big storyteller, if you're like proper Delulu about this relationship, you're living in delusion, whether it's good or bad or normal or just terrible, Megan has some advice for you. If we have decided that this relationship is toxic, if we've labelled that ourselves, then we're going to gather all the evidence that we can to prove that story right. If we have decided that this relationship, which may actually be unhealthy, but this story we've told ourselves is it's totally fine. Everybody's in a relationship where they just get abused every night, right? We're going to gather evidence to prove that story right. So what I'd get you to do is to, to sit with what's going on. As I was saying before, notice the patterns, notice your emotions and how you're feeling about this. Figure out what is the story I'm telling myself about this? And actually, is it true? Is that a true story or is that something that maybe doesn't serve me anymore? Do I need to look at this in a slightly different way? I think one of the things is when when we don't have all the information, we make it up, right? So when we don't know the story, we create one for ourselves. 
Yeah. And so that's what I find is happening quite a lot. And so if we can pause this and instead of just living with it or changing our behavior around it, if we can talk about it, we can go, Hey, I've noticed this thing is happening. Can we talk about what's going on with it? Can we figure this thing out? Because for the moment it's not working for me. I love you and I love us, but this piece of the relationship, it's really starting to hurt the more it happens. Can we just focus on that piece of it and figure that part of it out? So rather than deciding everything's toxic and throwing out, right? Or having to accept all of it, we can sift through it and decide what we want to hold and what we want to let go of and how we do that together. I'm going to go back to our example, Pip, of you coming home at 7pm and not talking to me and going straight to the shower. I am getting flogged. You, My role play version yeah, of myself I'm is like, such a dick. We are not getting along in our relationship. We're not doing well. We're not doing well. Um, like I was saying before, I could be holding on to all that hate towards you, that resentment, that anger, like that bitterness. What Megan is saying here is I need to just be able to talk about it with you. And we say this a lot on this podcast, but communication is key all the time. So a new example of my feelings could be, hey, Pip, I really want to chat to you about something. I've been feeling like a little bit upset that every time you come home at 7 p.m., like you don't acknowledge me and say hi. It's making me feel like you don't love me as much as I love you and that you don't care about me. And this is how I'm feeling. Let's talk it through. And you can be like, oh, my God no, I love you. I care about you. Yeah, I just had a really hard day at work. Yes. I'm really under the pump. I'm so sorry. If I had known, I would just do a little, hi, babe. Hey, babe. <laughs> a massive day. Let me just get in the shower and then let's talk over dinner. Exactly. Ah. And look how simple that was. Easy. Just saying. Anyway, back to Megan. Let your emotions become a bit of a compass, right? So these emotions are there as information. We don't need to live in anger or sadness or frustration, but gee, they're good information. So if we look at them and we go, okay, I feel really uncomfortable. I feel really disrespected. I feel really sad, worried, anxious, afraid. Let that become a compass that points you towards what the need is here. So if I feel afraid, what I need is safety. How am I going to get that? I'm going to need to have a conversation about what it means to feel safe in this relationship and why at the moment it's not really happening. Right now, all of that is easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. So there might actually be a point in which you need a little bit of help, right? Help to set those boundaries and have those conversations. And that might be on your own, figuring this out with a bit of a script that you can get online. It might be with a really trusted friend, or it might be coming to work with someone like me who says, hey, this is the process I'm going to walk you through. Don't panic. We've got this. Yes, Megan, like she's saying, talk to your mates. And actually, we asked Ben about this, who you heard earlier, um, because his friends were kind of a huge motivator for him to break up with this love-hate girl. And this is what they did. I'd lie to them and then they'd see a car at my house. Uh, I made bets with them and said that I won't see her again, so I've had to pay money. I'd be, I'd be full adamant that I'm not going back to her, but then like I'd I'd have like a big weekend and I'd get her over on the Sunday and it was all out the window. And I've got a couple of mates going through the same thing right now. Yeah, like I, I literally got no advice for them because you can't you can't do anything about it. Not them making bets. Imagine people making bet your friends making bets on your relationship about whether or not you're gonna go back to the person. Just a casual gamble. Oh my god. <laughs> I have to say though, like on the friend thing, I feel a type of way because I'm someone who goes to all my friends all the time to vent about relationship dating stuff. It's hard because your friends will give you advice and I'll take like everything that they say, like all of their advice as like 
a moral compass. I'm like, yep, I should do that. They said that. that they know me best. Like, they know exactly what's going on here. Mm. Like, I'm going to break up with that person because they told me I should. Um, but yeah, you should be kind of careful with that because there, a lot of your friends don't really see everything in your relationship. They only hear about the bad times. So, of course, they're like, dump them, you know, that kind of vibe. Um, and, yeah, we spoke to Megan about this and, yeah, she did really agree, like, you got to be smart about who you share this stuff with. Trust a friend who has seen all of the seasons as opposed to one who you only go to when it's winter time, right? So someone who has seen the highs and lows of that and can sit with you and go, yeah, do you know what? I've been looking at it and I've seen the moments when you're really happy, but I've also seen the moments when you feel really afraid or worried. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe you've got to stop and, and check this out. Yeah. As opposed to the person you go to just when you're feeling really shitty that day. You know we love to wrap this podcast up in a cute little bow for you. I know. With like a bit of a like, and here's a conclusion. And we felt like this. And this is what you need to run off and do. And send it to your friends. But, you know, this is really a hard nuanced topic and it's obviously so easier said than done to find that fine line between your love and hate and whether you are jumping that line way too much or if it's normal part of your dynamic, like... It's really, really tricky. So I guess like tread with caution. We hope this did help. Yeah. Like Megan said, what was it? Five things, five positive things for every negative thing. I yeah. think that's kind of stuck with me. The ratio. It's a good thing to like a compass to use for your relationship. And um, yeah, lots of lots of nuance within this. But um, remember that if it is something that is abusive and toxic, yeah, we'll put some numbers in the show notes for you. Uh place you can call to get support. Yeah, and like Megan always says, and all of our therapists say, if you have the means, go see a therapist. Um, okay, we're off. Love you. I'll see you at home. Roleplay oh, D. Bubby, see you at 4, 7 p.m. 7, 7 p.m. I'll have dinner ready for you. I'll have a little <laughs> massage going. Don't you dare go straight to the shower. Love you. <laughs>